Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Fat Muscle Project podcast. I'm John Gorman, your host, joined once again by Miss Lisa. Lisa, what's going on? How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How have things been going for you? Oh, good. You know, we've had more warm days. I'm in Missouri, Missouri. If you're a hillbilly, that's that's what it's <laughs> called here, Missouri. Um, it's been dipping down into the 40s. Not bad. I've been getting my nightly walks in for 20 minutes for heart health and I do those later at night, like usually about nine or 10 o'clock because that's my day is winding down and it's nice and relaxing. I can go for a walk and listen to podcasts and just clear my head. So it's been colder. So I just dress warm and, and roll. Um, but other than that, things are good. I know we've got a couple um, wins for the week that we like to pass along. And I, what I like about that is it causes other people that are listening to think about their wins for the week. So if you're a listener always trying like each day, like focus on, okay, Hey, this was a big win for the day or a win for the week. At uh, least let's start off with you. What do you, what do you have? Yeah. So I'm back in Colombia now. Uh, last time when we recorded, I was in the States. Now I'm back in Colombia um, and I just took new progress pictures or sort of like comparison pictures since I guess I have shared before. Um, I sort of started focusing on like glute gains, et cetera, about, a bit over a year ago, September, 2022. And um, so in those, let's say 15 months, um, it's uh, I'm excited to share the pictures in a couple of days um, just because it really is a big difference, very visible and also for me noticeable in terms of um, like training and so on. So um, yeah, that's, that's a big win for me because sometimes if you're in that uh, on a day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week basis, it feels like nothing is happening and you're just like, yeah. Am I actually making any progress? Um, but then if you have, you know, 15 months apart, you're like, oh, wow, that is a lot. <laughs> so, yes, I'm excited. Yeah, that that's a big deal because, you know, for people listening, seeing fat loss pictures and progress, that's that's huge. Right. And you can see a decent amount of progress pretty quick. You know, when it comes to fat loss, you know, if you're losing one or two pounds a week, some people are losing more, especially as you get leaner, you really see the drastic changes, you know, like every four weeks. Now, if you're trying to see muscle gain in four weeks or sometimes even four months, it's such a long process. And, um, you know, the shorter your frame, the more you're going to be able to see it. I've noticed you're not, how, how tall are you? Um, what is that? An inch is five feet four, I think. Okay. Something yeah. Like so like, uh, you know, a lot of females are five, one, five, two seems to be mm -hmm. a pretty common, uh, you know, but for people a little bit taller than that, it just takes more to fill your frame out. So I know it's been one of your goals just to keep hammer down, eat a ton of food. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited to see your progress. So. Yeah. And especially since the, at the same time, the goal was also to still stick with the quote unquote lean gaining and not making it, you know, just a, a huge bulk and then um, putting on more body fat than anything. But it's it's very visible that it's not just body fat. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, our topic today is is all about we're going to do a deep dive on fat loss plateaus. I think at some point we should do a deep dive on muscle gain plateaus. Uh, you mm -hmm. don't hear people talk about that often and what to do to break those plateaus. So, uh, yeah, real quick, me, uh, real quick for me, my win for the week. Um, we are just about, let me think about when this is going to drop. We're recording in mid-December. This will probably drop after the beginning of the year. Um, we had a heck of a fat days of Christmas for the business for fat muscle project. And that was fun. Um, 
And just wrapping up the year, you know, our year has just, we've grown, like we're up like almost 20% and it's just good. And we're about to have our fat muscle customer appreciation event, which, you know, as we're talking right now, I've got four tickets left. Those are going to sell out. So we're going to have the biggest event that we've ever had. And we're going to celebrate our, our coaches, our top customers, our top retailers, just basically what it is to be part of Fat Muscle Project, which is, you know, we're all building our Fat Muscle Project, our best physique. So, you know, that as that wraps up and the year wraps up, I guess that's just my win. Like everything is just in such a good place. We have a new headquarters that we're moving in that's twice the size, just very, very blessed yeah. and, and fortunate. So uh, we're going to get into this. How, how am I doing on my end? I know my Wi-Fi is a little spotty. Am I breaking up any at all over there, Lisa? It's been a little blurry a couple of times, but not break broken up completely. Okay. Yeah. That's the podcast life, right? Let's, uh, you've done a great job of putting this together. I'm going to let you take the reins here and, uh, let's get into fat loss plateaus. Yeah. John, like you were saying, um, topic is fat loss plateaus and essentially anything or everything associated with that. And first I want to define what actually constitutes as a plateau, because sometimes people, um, have the same weight for like five days and they're like, Oh, I've reached a plateau. And you're like, uh, no. Um, but yeah, maybe you can define, or what would you define as a plateau? Yeah. And, and that's the thing, weight loss, fat loss in our world, you know, physique enhancement, everyone listening here, you're trying to be your leanest, most muscular physique, as I've said, and you know, weight loss and fat loss usually are going to be intertwined very closely. Okay. The only time that you're going to see someone strictly worried about fat loss and not so much the scale is typically when someone first starts out and they haven't been training for a long time and they're kind of new to training, they can gain muscle faster than normal and they're going to lose fat at the same time. We call it recomping, right? So essentially you see people drop inches and I see it all the time. Sometimes that'll happen too. If someone's taken a long time away from training and dieting and taking care of themselves and they come back after, you know, five years off or 10 or 20 years off, uh, you know, maybe they worked out in high school, but then, you know, 20 years later, now they're close to 40 and they want to get into shape. Well, they start training again and they start dropping inches, but they're not really dropping scale weight. We do see that. Right. But the reason I bring these up is because when we go to look and we, we talk about the nuances between the two, we'll get in more into the weeds and the nitty gritty, but basically a plateau is you're simply not making progress. So from the fat loss, the weight loss side, what I look for for in a client is, you know, are they not dropping inches, first of all? And typically the scale's not moving because most people, if you're going to lose a pound of fat, you're going to lose a pound on the scale. Like that's just the way that it is, especially the more seasoned you are. You know, if you've been working out for a year or more, you're probably not going to be recomping. So if you're going to drop weight, you're going to drop fat. So I like to watch for... You know, at least a pound of fat loss a week, sometimes two if someone's a little heavier. And if they haven't lost anything and the scales just kind of stayed the same, like maybe it's 134s for the last 10 days or it's averaging 134. That to me as a coach, now I start to dig. Now I start to find out, okay, what's which we're going to do? What's causing the plateau? Uh, you know, if you're not dropping inches, that's another thing. If we're looking at pictures, there's not really a change. We'll talk about those, but essentially everything has come to a halt and there's a lot of things that cause a plateau. And I know we're going to, we're going to deep dive into that as well. 
I do think you um, mentioned something really important and that it's it, the weight is averaging X, Y, Z, because yes. sometimes if people just look at day-to-day -day scale movements and then the scale goes back up um, and they don't consider things like hydration, sodium, even just hormonal stuff, um, you know, that that's just, we don't want to be focused on day-to-day -day scale movements. So I usually say, um, weekly average, but even there, if it's just the same for one week, I, who mostly worked with GenPop, I hardly ever would do an adjustment if that's for one week, if it's the same as the previous week. If two weeks in a row, nothing is happening. And on top of that, people are not feeling leaner, are not making other progress or so, then maybe after two weeks, I'll, I'll adjust something. Of course, I think it also depends on what kind of deadline do you have? Um, do you have a deadline or not? Like for, again, Gen Pop, or if someone has a lot of weight to lose, um, I think, uh, you know, we can be a bit more bit more patient or other people can be more um, aggressive. Like if you know you have a show to attend in 18 weeks and nothing is happening for one week, that's a big percentage out of the whole and you want to move things along quicker but with gen pop where we're just like okay and we want to work on healthy habits and everything at the same time um yeah hardly ever will i adjust something after just one week of a plateau and we'll talk more about um you know how how to ask yourself uh, more questions in the sense of should i be adjusting something already or should i be more patient um uh, in in a little bit as well but yeah first i want to uh, talk about why these plateaus actually happen so maybe you can explain that to us and we've talked a little bit about that in our episode on reverse dieting but uh, generally speaking why do weight loss plateaus happen so it's a very natural thing to happen. And what I'm about to say, I, I remember the first time I ever read this was back in 2007. I was reading a book called Body of Us by Dan Touchane. And this made a lot of sense. And he was talking about, okay, listen, your body has to slow its metabolic rate as you lose weight, especially as you're losing muscle. Or the other reason is, as the muscle becomes flatter, right? So like when you're dieting on, you know, you lower your carbs to diet for most people, the muscle cells are going to be a little bit flatter. Um, they're not going to be as full. Um, so when you're dieting, what you will see is as your weight starts to drop, especially over time, your metabolic rate is dictated by mostly muscle, right? Body weight and, and mostly muscle. So as that stuff starts to slowly go down, if your metabolic rate didn't also slowly go down, your body temperature would rise. Well, that's not going to happen. So it's literally a built-in uh, checks and balances system to where when you get lower, when you get leaner, your metabolic rate has to adapt. And that's why when, you know, say if you're a female and you start out dieting on 1600 calories, right? Pretty common start out 1600 calories. After a while, you know, if you drop 10, 10 pounds, 12 pounds, whatever, I don't know, whatever the number is. Now, all of a sudden, you're doing the same cardio, you're eating the same 1600 calories, you know, maybe with a free meal, which we'll talk about or a refeed, but then everything just stops and you're doing everything perfect. Your training's perfect. Your diet's perfect. You're still eating 1600 calories. Why do you stop and plateau? Well, you're, you're 10 or 12 or 15 pounds lighter. So your body has actually adapted, not just to the calorie load, but it's also had to slow down because you weigh less. And that's why it's very, very important to be aware of that. And it's a common thing. I've got clients that freak out over, they're so worried about stalls. I'm like, hey, a stall is normal. That's why you have me. 
that's actually what you're paying me for. My biggest job as a coach is to know when to adjust to break the stall, when to anticipate a stall's coming, and and how to kind of stay ahead of it. But we're all going to hit stalls. I, I would imagine when I diet someone for stage, I'm at least going to see three stalls for most people that I'm going to break. For Gen Pop, we're going to talk about how to fix that because there's a lot of things we can tighten the reins on, which which yeah, I know you're going to smile as soon as I say that. There's a lot of lifestyle stuff we're going to tighten the reins on and we're going to make those those stalls go away without dropping calories. Um, but that's that's pretty much it. I wanted people to understand like why it's normal. And I think, too, that um, breaking it down a little bit further in the sense of um, how your metabolism ad adapts to that is helpful for people to understand because it's not just you mentioned uh, you're technically doing the same in the gym, et cetera. Um, but even there. So first of all, when the metabolism adapts, it's it's your you have you consume less food. So generally the thermic effect of food is going to be lower. You're probably going to have a lower neat and non-exercise activity thermogenesis after a while. Your body just down regulates, kind of goes into power saving mode in, in every aspect. And even though you might feel like you're putting in the same effort in the gym, you probably you probably don't have quite as much energy available as you did at the beginning of the cut or at maintenance. So even though you feel or even your numbers might be the same, um, you might it might not be as intense. And then of course, um, basal metabolic rate, um, as you mentioned, that's the that's the main thing that adapts as well. But I think in a lot of people, neat is really one of the main movers, and they're. Um, there are more and more studies actually showing like how how adaptable need really is between uh, maintenance, beginning of a diet, end of a diet, etc. So yes, as you said, it's just natural. It's gonna occur. That's just what we have to deal with. Let me let me bring up one more point, and this is the role that cortisol plays, and a lot of people don't realize, but this is why it's important to maximize at least what you can control with cortisol, because cortisol even though I've called it enemy number one, when it comes to fat loss and hormone dysfunction, especially we do need it. So you, you can't just make it go away. I think they did research. Um, and the research showed like when cortisol was super, super low, like fat loss hardly happened at all. So, I mean, you need cortisol for a, a lot of different functions in the body, but what we want to avoid is chronically high cortisol. And here's the thing people need to remember when you diet, now you're operating at a deficit. Your body is going to be under-recovered. That's the thing. And that's why it's key to have a high-carb day in there once a week, which we'll, we'll, we'll get into. I know I keep alluding to that. But you need a day to kind of drop that cortisol. If not, you've got seven days of chronically high cortisol because you're eating less than your body needs. Uh, you're under-recovered, uh, even though you're eating high enough protein. So what happens is cortisol stays chronically high. You start making less thyroid hormone. You make less testosterone. You make less progesterone for females, which interrupts your sleep, right? Chronically high cortisol not only hits those hormones and slows your metabolism down, it also plays a role with sleep. Your sleep's not going to be as good. So guess what? Now you're more under-recovered, which makes cortisol go higher, which slows your metabolic rate more, which hits your hormones more. You see the vicious cycle. So that's why I think you know, we'll talk about the lifestyle stuff that we need to address with sleep and stuff from a supplement standpoint, which is the last standpoint, by the way, that supplements are a tiny portion of what to have. But that's why from a supplement standpoint, I like to recommend New Ethics Cordy's two caps before bed to help drop cortisol uh, as much as we can, you know, from a supplement standpoint and hormone optimizer, which drops cortisol and it also boosts testosterone. 
So, you know, those are the two things that when I have people dieting, they make a big, big difference, but we have to do the things to mitigate, you know, chronically high cortisol, which, which, you know, some of these things we'll, we'll talk about. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and like I was saying earlier, especially with um, general population, um, I like to go over a few questions first. I think with um, competitors, it's a little bit different because we um, assume most of them are, are given or they're so self-aware that they would mention that as well. Um, but some of the first things I always like to address is how consistent were you really over the last week or two? Was there anything different in the sense of maybe you had travel days, maybe actually there were a few extra bites and licks and whatever that you didn't account for. And like you said, um, was there more stress in general and or less sleep? Because again, like with the high cortisol, we're automatically going to hold on to a more body fat and be uh, sometimes a bit more water, et cetera. And that's both reasons for the scale to be staying up um, or other things like how, how well did you adhere to the plan really, if you have a meal plan or how quote unquote clean was your diet was, was it a lot more processed foods than usual? Even if it was the same calories, we know that there's more potential for error. If we have yes. more foods that have barcodes Um so even if you're tracking meticulously or even things like, like I've had a client, she, she ate two packets of gum that she didn't track those kind of things. So like, let's, let's look at all the small little things because these need to be addressed first before we're changing anything with calories or macros. Um, have you, do you kind of go over a similar checklist with your clients? I, I do. I, I have the, the, the scale one to 10 scale that I ask my clients when I start to see and sniff out a plateau, um, and typically they're seeing it too. They're like, Hey, like my weight's not moving. I, I have a system of questions I ask. And the first one that I ask on a scale of one to 10, how are you doing nailing your diet and macros? So, uh, for gen pop, if they're dieting and you've hired me and you spent the money and we're trying to go all in, I want them at a nine out of 10. That's not too much to ask. Like I, because here's the thing, if you're stepping on stage, it's a 10 out of 10. It's mm -hmm. literally the food that you prepare. And this is a sacrifice people make to get on stage. There, there's no balance for something like that because it's it's an extreme outcome, right? You can you can you can manage some balance, but when it comes to nailing your macros, it better be a 10 out of 10. And I don't let my clients eat out and track their food because the room for error, especially towards the end when body fat loss is so hard because your body is fighting you, it does not want to be that lean. You can't go out and eat, like you've got to prepare your food. And the quote unquote cleaner, um, more from the ground, the better or the less processed, the better or the less ingredients, the better, because you just know the room for error is not as high, right? You can, you can eat a lot of packaged stuff, but there's a 20 to 25%, whatever the FDA allows, um, for a variance. So, yeah. you know, instead of 30 carbs, you might be eating 40, for example, like you just, you just don't know. Um, so that's, that's what I do scale one to 10. And if it's not where I want it, I don't change the plan. I say, Hey, I need you to tighten that seven up to a nine. If you're gen pop, tighten it up, plan your food out, have it with you that day and don't eat off the plan. That's always the thing. Um, and that usually gets people to dropping. And, and I look at that week's history leading up, you know, if they've been dropping for the past three or four weeks 
And unless they've dropped a lot of weight, that's the other thing. I know it's probably time if they've dropped 10 pounds or more because their body's starting to adapt, like I talked about earlier. But if, if they've dropped four pounds and they're not dropping after, you know, after week four, I probably don't need to adjust the plan. We got to find a way to tighten, tighten the reins a little bit. Agreed. Absolutely. And yeah, I think um, stress is really something along that list that people totally underestimate in the sense of how much it can um, oppose their, their weight loss or cause them to plateau a little bit. And yeah, even sleep, I guess, plays into that as well, or even just hormonal things as well. But um, I like I like that um, bumping it up or like the scale of one to 10. That's really helpful. So people can also learn to honestly um, look at their own effort. Um, so where would you go? Where do you go next? Let's say that all of these things are kind of like a check in the box. No, I was, I was completely consistent. I was being accurate. I followed uh, the plan. I ate pretty clean. Nothing was different in terms of stress or travel or sleep. Um, how big of a change, if we can even generalize that, do you make? And is it more from carbs or fats or both or yeah? Yeah, I I want to get into that and I'm sorry, I'm going to back up because I, I do want to explain the stress component. Um, the other things that I do try and find out that could be hormonal. And this is where I've given a whole lecture and done multiple podcasts on this. It's hormone versus hormones versus calories in calories out and why hormones can impact calories in calories out. Um, so here, here's how I can actually see the issue. All right. If someone's very stressed, right, maybe they're going through a divorce, maybe, maybe, you know, besides a divorce or a bad breakup or something like that, or stress at home, um, stress at work, just very, very high stress. And a lot of type A people, they're very high stress type people. If they get out of the routine, it stresses them out. So, you know, outside of looking at a four point cortisol test, you can ask questions and find out how stressed someone is. And I can read it in their emails. There's lots of exclamation points. There's a lot of freaking out. There's a lot of over analysis. Like there's a lot of that. And I know some of my clients are smiling and laughing. Maybe some of them are pissed off. Like, is he calling me out? <laughs> because here's the thing. Those types of stressed people, here's, here's why stress plateaus everyone. When your stress goes up, two things happen. Uh, your blood sugar does stay a little bit higher than normal because when stress goes up, it makes you pump out more blood sugar, which it's, it's trying to say, Hey, here's some energy, blood sugar run or, or go like run from the tiger, or run from the person breaking into your house, whatever. It's a stress level. So as your blood glucose goes up, now you're burning through more blood glucose, but to get your blood glucose back down to normal ranges, insulin has to go up to help drive the blood glucose down. And insulin is very interesting because it blocks fat burning to a very large degree. It blocks using other uh, forms of fuel in your body as energy, right? Especially fat. So as your blood sugar goes up from cortisol, the insulin has to go up to drive that down. Now you're in a state to where if you've been dropping well on say 1600 calories, but all of a sudden you have a week from hell at work and you're on low sleep and you're, you know, you might be getting fired or whatever the reason is, right? We've all got our shit. Now you're fighting through higher insulin, higher blood sugar. Now imagine if it's like that for months, for months. Now you start to see where to actually get through that, you have to drop their calories even lower than you would have. 
So if somebody that should be dropping on 1600, I've seen them to where maybe I have to get them down to 1300, for example, because of the hormonal component. And that's why every researcher, every quote unquote influencer out there that says it's not calories in calories out versus hormones. It's not that it's because you're cheating on your diet. They don't understand the systems of the body. And that is how cortisol can impact things so that I want people to understand that. Because I know we have people listening, you know, coaches, or maybe they're just people that are trying to diet. And they're like, listen, John, I'm doing everything right. Everything right. They're fighting through some kind of a stress response is what I've seen most of the time. And, and how to fix that? You got to lower your stress. Like, that's it. Like, maybe you need to take a week off from the gym and you need to sleep in and you need to nail your diet. And by the way, when that happens, we'll talk about, you know, diet breaks and things like that here in just a bit. When that happens, I see people's weight just start flying off of them. So you do the opposite of what people think, but we'll we'll get to that. Exactly. And it, like sometimes you see clients go on vacation even, and they might even think they're overindulging. And then they come back and they're lighter than before because of all the stress being let go. Or as you said, like sometimes... Um, it's, it's things like financial struggles or um, once you get through a breakup and then all the weight comes off because you're truly like you're literally letting go of something. So, yeah, um, I like that you that you really clarified that. Um, yeah. But yes, yeah, so where, where are we going from here when it comes to what do we actually adjust training, mm, yeah. and both eat, carbs, fats? Yeah, typically what I like to do is if I can. I like to adjust most of the time I, I've got someone's protein set. I, I rarely ever adjust protein. I just leave it set for the off season for dieting. It's just simple. Leave it set where it's at. It's not a fuel source unless it's too high. If it's way, way too high, which isn't going to happen often, but if you're dieting and your protein sky high and you're starting to run low on carbs and fats, you will start to convert over protein into glucose. It's not an efficient process but it will happen. So that's the only time I've ever seen high protein interfere with fat loss is when you're running low on carbs and fats, you will turn that over. So with that being said, protein set, I like to try and set fat because I don't like to play with that number very often. I like to keep it there for hormone purposes to help slow down some of the carbs that we eat. So you have a decent glucose response um, because lower fat and a little bit more carbs, you see a lot of people, their their glucose can actually get low because they burn through the carbs so fast. Um, so I like to, you know, for example, I like to have, you know, maybe women are set at 60 fat a day, maybe guys are set at 70 or somewhere in that range. I will get a little lower towards the end, but typically I'm adjusting carbohydrates uh, because they're the ones that cause the insulin response. They're the ones that, you know, as you lower them, you improve your insulin sensitivity and fat loss becomes easier for the most part. Um, so I typically like to adjust carbs and not add very much cardio. And here's the reason why I don't add much cardio. Your body has to recover from that. So remember, I'm always trying to balance how how beat down your body gets. So if you're someone that's jogging four days a week for cardio, I don't want to add to where now you're at seven days a week because it's it's something that you have to recover from versus if I just drop your calories some, it's not causing more damage on the legs, right? Not It's not causing more inflammation. It's not causing more that your protein is going to help have to help you recover from. We want the training to do that. With that being said, cardio is a component. So sometimes I'll add five minutes of cardio, but I usually start people so low anyway, it doesn't get too high at the end. So 
man, I know I'm going way off in the weeds here, but here's, here's an idea of what I start someone with. If they've not been doing any cardio, I'll start them with 15 minutes of steady state three days a week, for example. Uh, and maybe one hit session of five hit and that's it, which takes five minutes. Um, if they plateau, I typically will drop carbs, 20 to 25 carbs, which is 80 to hundred calories. And I'll add five minutes to their steady state cardio session. Uh, maybe one hit. So maybe from five to six and that's, if everything's perfect and I know it's time to adjust to break the plateau. So typically 20, 25 carbs. Now the times that that will be higher is if someone's dieting on pretty high calories. So if I have a female that is eating 2,700 calories in the off season, I, I can't just drop her 20 carbs. Like I, I need to drop her a couple hundred calories, right? So it's probably going to be more than that. But typically for most people, we're on poverty macros towards the end. If I've got a, a female going from 1,500, I need to get her down probably to 1,400. I'm going to drop about 25 carbs. That's 100 calories and add five minutes of cardio. Because the steady state cardio, your body adapts to very quickly. It, you know, after about three to four weeks, your body's used to the walks on the treadmill or riding the bike or whatever you're doing. So I like to adjust that by about five minutes seems to work. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I like that. I'm I'm definitely 100% on board with uh, the carb manipulation there when it comes to um how how many you're dropping or how much you're dropping in terms of cardio. I would uh, agree with that. Uh, also just meeting people where they are if someone generally says uh well my calories are already so low and um, but I have so much time throughout my day, I'd much rather add more calorie expenditure in the form of exercise than dropping my calories. Yeah meeting them um, halfway or meeting them there and just saying like, that's absolutely fine. Or vice versa. If someone says I have zero additional time to give, I already feel like my energy is so low. And um, that would be the last place where I would add extra energy expenditure. So, Good point. Um, but um, generally for you, does that differ um, between gen pop and um, competitors, I guess, maybe in the severity of the adjustment or um, yeah. Yeah, uh, the severity, the adjustment, and how low I'm willing to take someone, right? Mm -hmm. So there are females, I may need to get them down to 1,000 calories, 1,100 calories towards the very end if they're stepping on stage, because that's what it takes. You know, if I'm if I'm trying to help a female lose 30 pounds, I, there's no way in hell I'm getting her down to 1,000 calories. One, um, they're not going to be lean to step on stage. And two, that's the point to where the only types of people that can stick to a thousand calories a day for an extended period of time are the people that are trying to get on stage because you're so driven to get on stage. You understand like you're literally going through starvation to get on stage. If you're just doing it to diet, most people can't stick to a thousand calories. So what I've seen happen is then you see people eating off the plan. Like they just get so ravenously hungry that they go and they just binge eat. You know, and then that throws things off. That to me means it's time to change the plan. It's time. Mm -hmm. You should never get that low for gen pop guys. I don't like to get guys gen pop down below 1800 if I can help it, unless there are smaller individuals, you know, smaller guys, you know, under 170 pounds. I, I don't mind that for a small, but it's only for a short amount of time. Um, but the severity is, is how low I'll take somebody based on the goal. And the other thing too, is, is the drops, you know, the drops are pretty much the same. For most people, you know, uh, guys, I, I might have to drop 30, 35 carbs. Um, if I ever do have to drop fats, I usually drop around 10 fats. That's 90 calories. But 
it's more about just systematically lowering and adding cardio. It just becomes harder the leaner people get. Stalls happen more, cortisol's higher. Your body's like, hey, I am not, not you're not doing this. Like I'm gonna preserve fat, right? And it's trying to protect itself. Um, so that's that's the difference between gen pop and and bodybuilding. Nice. And yeah, you said uh, already here with within this um that there's a certain point at which you say, okay this is enough. We've dieted for long enough. We need to first, the calories are too low. And that's exactly what I want to talk about next. Like what are some indicators where we're like this weight loss plateau indicates we need to either, um, have a longer diet break or just completely go into maintenance for, you know, start a reverse diet and go into maintenance for a while. So yeah, you mentioned the low calories and what would be some other indicators where you'd be like, I'm going to pull this person out of the deficit. Yeah. The first thing is um, just how burnt out they're getting and how many times they're going to eat off plan. They're having mm -hmm. slip ups. They'll report slip ups to me. And I tell my clients, I'm like, hey, just tell me like when it happens, I'm not going to yell at you. I need to know that stuff because I need to know what to do next. All right. Sometimes it's a motivational email and it's me sticking my foot in their ass because they respond well to that. And I'm like, hey, listen, like, you know, I, I've got a lady that I was, that I've been working with and we've been floating around the 200 mark and she's dropped a lot of weight and she'll dip down to the one nineties. But then on the weekends, she's not in her sleep. She's eating out. She, it's always something. And she knows it. Um, and it's constantly me sending emails like, Hey, like, let's go, let's get you into the one nineties. Like let's, let's, and then we'll, we'll add calories. You know, sometimes it's those kind of emails, but most of the time it's finding that point of, okay, Hey, We need to take a break. And that becomes hard because most people are so scared to start adding food back in because they're already struggling and they're eating off plan. But I have to explain to them, hey, listen, there's there's two things we can do. We can add the food back in and we can continue fat loss. So if someone is literally a nine out of 10 on their diet and I systematically reverse diet and add food in, we talked a little bit about this on the prior episode, they can keep dropping. And the reason that happens is cortisol starts to drop. They're more recovered. Their sleep's better. Their metabolic rate starts to increase. Hormones improve and they they get leaner and they drop weight. I, I've done it with multiple people. Uh, it all comes down to how well they stick to the plan. And that helps them not have episodes where they eat off the plan because they get to start eating more. I just tell them like, hey, I need you to eat damn near perfect because I can get your calories up really fast. You're going to be eating more soon. Like, I just need you to be very strict. So that's, uh, that, that's, I know I keep going off into the weeds, but I love this topic. That's, that's really, you know, everything I, that I, I think, think is that, important. That honest communication between coach and client obviously is so important. And just even being honest with yourself, because like you said, we probably have the feeling of like, oh, I failed. If that happens over and over again, and you kind of like your coach usually is someone that you don't want to disappoint that you want to impress as well. So if you keep going off plan, then you feel disappointed in yourself and your efforts. And you're like, no, 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 I can do this. I can do this. But like you said, often it's just about having that on, honest conversation. And just like that, as if we're in a situation, we have a hard time assessing our stress again. So sometimes um, when it comes to um, determining, should we continue with this or not, I also like to ask what's coming up in the next few weeks, because are you really able to put your foot down for another 
months, two month, months or three months or whatever. And if they're then like, um, yeah, actually I have literally nothing planned. I, I truly feel like I'm really focused now. Okay, cool. Let's keep going. But if they say, well, I have a big deadline in two weeks and then actually my mother-in-law is coming to stay for a week and then we're going on vacation and then it's Christmas and then it's this. And actually I already feel overwhelmed. I'm like, whoa, okay, cool. <laughs> this is a really good sign. We should really take a diet break or go into maintenance, whatever. Um, yeah, I think that that's quite important to kind of think about as well. I agree, hundred percent. Um, yeah, and then uh, what I wanted to touch on also is aside from obviously the caloric uh, adjustment, the making sure we're super consistent, accurate, etc. What would be some additional quote unquote hacks or tips um, to to implement a, a to to speed things back up, I guess, or um, even to prevent uh, stall from happening in the first place. Yeah, I, you know, glucose disposal agents, that's a supplement that I think for fat loss, everyone should take um, over the counter. We make one that has 500 milligrams of berberine, which is basically poor man's metformin. Uh, in the bodybuilding world, you'll see a lot of people take, get a script for metformin. It's extremely cheap. Um, it's not something I think anyone here needs to worry about. And I'm not telling you go get black market metformin, but, you know, if, you are somebody that's pre-diabetic, you have a history, you know, and your doctor wants to give you a script for metformin, 500 milligrams morning and night work really, really well and improving insulin sensitivity and freeing up more fatty acids to be used as fuel, right? Um, so that's a hack that's, a, that's from the medical standpoint. Like I said, that's between you and your doctor. But on our end, right, if you don't have a prescription, you can use a glucose disposal agent. And that's why we selected berberine as our main ingredient, 500 milligrams. And you take that with carb meals that have 20 carbs or more. And what it does is berberine is interesting because it, it, when you take it, it kind of tricks your body into thinking it's low on fuel. So then you start uh, pushing fats into the mitochondria being used as fuel. So there, there are supplements like that. Um, it also helps insulin do its job better. So you have less insulin floating around your bloodstream. Remember what I said earlier about insulin can block fat burning to some degree. Now you use a GDA. So your body secretes less insulin to do the job because you've got the GDA in your bloodstream helping lower blood glucose and storage and things of that nature. Uh, carnitine is a very, very interesting product. We have a powdered carnitine. It's two grams. I recommend that once in the morning and once in the evening. It's not a stimulant. Um, there's liposomal L-carnitine that we carry as well from new ethics. You can even do injectable, uh, L-carnitine that I don't recommend because one, it's not tested. You don't know exactly. You don't have COAs on that kind of stuff. These labs show up here and there and they go under, I mean, that's just old school bodybuilding bullshit that it does work, but you just don't know what you're getting. And I know there's a lot of people that are like, well, hey, you recommended that years ago. I do. I just don't trust that you're getting what you're paying for because you have no way of knowing. So that and it hurts like hell. Like the injections hurt like hell. I mean, they are brutal. Um, but if you do have that and you're somebody that likes it, you know, 600 milligrams before you work out and 600 milligrams at some other time of the day. It does do wonders uh, if everything you have is good. But like I said, I try to stay away from that. It's just kind of sketchy. Um, so th those are a couple of supplements that I like to use as hacks. Carnitine twice a day. Now you have to be careful with carnitine because you need 200, uh, 2000 milligrams, sorry, to really get the benefits because it's very hard to digest. 
And if you start going over that in one serving, it will act as a laxative. So in the medical community, high, high doses of carnitine powder can act as a laxative. So if you're backed up, by the way, you can do that. You can double it up and it, it will help get your digestion back on track. But you have to kind of skirt that line of, of, and that's why it's, it's, you know, you see a lot of people that do and don't use it. Um, just try the liposomal oil carnitine a couple times a day. So those are, those are my supplement hacks there. Nice. Yeah. I like, uh, I mean, along the lines of better blood sugar management, et cetera, I, I like, uh, recommending post meal walks. I think, mm -hmm. um, just to you, you, it, it gets the, keeps the gut digestion going. And aside from that, it like helps obviously with, with blood sugar management. I'm, I, that's one of my favorite ones where I'm saying, okay, are you basically sitting all day and just getting your training and your walk in, in one go, or can we kind of split this up and at least, um, go for a short walk after your meals or is it work on a standing desk or something like that? You know, you mentioned NEAT, uh, non-exercise activity thermogenesis for people listening as we diet, especially as you diet for a show, you do have less and less energy because you're taking in less and less food, right? And your body's under-recovered for certain, you know, the longer you go, the more you'll feel that you stop doing the things that you normally do, whether it's just fidgeting, whether it's just movement, like we all, any of us that have dieted for a show, we want to sit on the couch and just chill out and watch some TV at the end of the day. Uh, you don't want to mow the yard like normal. Um, you don't want to have sex like normal. You don't want to just do all the things right that are normal every parts of everyday life. The reason I bring that up is keep a close eye on that. It's not just about step count. If you find yourself just wanting to veg out, you're going to not be burning as many calories as you have been. So try and keep your neat up to normal uh, and be very aware of it. I like that. Yeah, that's a very good point. And that's why, I mean, I'm generally not someone who likes to track um, energy burned or calories burned during a yeah. workout. I don't think there's any purpose to that, but yeah, tracking steps. I do think that that in and of itself is one good starting point. Um, you uh, said something about preventing fat loss pl plateaus um, earlier, or actually that we can't prevent them because our body is um, set up that way and that's good but are there ways that we can kind of push them out or um see that we can prevent them as best as possible yeah doing refeeds um at least once a week or a high carb day i i don't like to really see people do free meals when they're dieting because they Listen, if you tell somebody a free meal that's up for debate on what's a free meal right like a burger <laughs> and fries or is someone getting this giant burger giant fries a milkshake with it you know what i mean and then usually that shit spills over into a couple hours later they're like well i've already had it i may as well just keep eating other shit at home i like to have systematic high carb days when you're dieting because you're just more uh accurate that way um but here's here's the science behind it for years we did massive refeeds and, and people have done high carb days refeeds you know for a long, long time with the idea that it would spike your metabolism. It would help propel fat loss for the week. And we did such crazy stuff back in the day. I'd, I'd have people eating 2000 carbs on a Tuesday. I'm not even kidding. And still oh. getting shredded. Um, now, of course that, you know, you post about and you see all these people that I was doing it with and they would step on stage. But what you didn't see behind the scenes is I had a lot of people want to hire me at the time. They're like, Hey, I want to be, I want to be a fat kid once a week and be able to still get <laughs> shredded. But what they didn't see is the people that it was two steps forward, two steps back. And those big, mm -hmm. big refeeds, they hindered fat loss. So 
what happened is uh, Dr. Bill Campbell, I was invited to speak at the ISSN annual conference, huge honor of mine. And we sat down and had dinner and he said, Hey, I want to do a refeed study. Or would you like to write the diets for that? And I said, I would be honored. You're coming from someone that was a high school dropout at one point, like for me to be able to write the diets for a study are, are a big deal. So what we did was it was a whole team of us. They basically studied doing refeeds back to back days um, during the week or just dieting with zero refeeds. All right. And what they found was um, refeeds did not impact fat loss as far as hindering it at all. People were able to stick to their diet because they had a couple high carb days to enjoy. They held on to their muscle better. And I can't remember the difference in fat loss. Um, and that's bad because I was part of this, but I'm old and it's been six years since that conversation. Um, the fat loss was either as good or better. And it makes sense, right? The, the thing is, when you eat carbohydrates, it boosts leptin. So if you have a refeed that's not too big, you're going to boost leptin. What leptin does, it also stimulates your metabolism. So you do get a little bit of metabolic effects, you know, for how long we used to think, hey, you do these giant refeeds on a Sunday, it's going to help fuel your metabolism for the whole week. No, not really. Um, it's really going to help do things like drop cortisol, boost your metabolism a little bit for, for a couple few days. And it's going to give you that extra energy because now you have extra stored carbs to help push you through those workouts. So your workouts are going to be better. You're going to burn more calories that way. Your cardio is going to be better. Cortisol is going to be lower. And it's, it's one of those things. If you're dieting without that, your body adapts to the same calories over time and you're not spiking your metabolism at all. You're just keeping it hammered down. So I know people are listening and they're like, well, okay, how do I know how many carbs to have in my high carb, high carb day? Just a general rule of thumb, because there's outliers everywhere. If you add, you know, whatever you're dieting on, you're losing a pound or two pounds a week, add 100 to 200 carbs and do that once a week. So for most females, if I've got them dieting on 150 carbs, you know, maybe they do anywhere from 50 to 100 extra once a week, and they may do 200 to 250 as their high carb day, right? And that's a day to where I'm not really worried about fat loss that day. I'm worried about getting close to maintenance, resetting all those things that I talked about and giving them energy for the week ahead because it's going to help prevent stalls. It just does. For guys, maybe, you know, if I'm dieting them on 200 carbs a day to start, maybe they've got a 400 carb day every Sunday and I have them train on those days. So it's one of those things that, that they, they become very, very important. And now the research is there to support it. Awesome. I love that. I think that's really a really practical takeaway. And I think in general, I hope we have painted a pretty good picture as to what to do when we hit a weight loss plateau, which is inevitable. And that, in my opinion, or you also said that that is why people should have a coach, because otherwise a set of macros that you get of the internet um, would just work forever and ever and ever. And right. you would, you know, it might be super aggressive. It might not be whatever, but um yeah, having that person, A, of course, for accountability and B, just to to take a look at everything and saying, is it time to adjust something? Are you actually consistent enough? If so, what adjustment are we making? Are we doing that through cardio, through carbs, through a mixture of both or not? How can we help additionally with any supplements um, uh, and lifestyle practices? How can we manage your stress better, et cetera? Um, yeah, I think that that's really what it's all about. And um, when 
people just think, like, oh, I'm doing whatever I've been doing and why is it not working anymore? Um, I think you explained that really, really well also that your body is just set up that way and that is good that way. That 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 totally makes sense from a, a nature perspective. Let's uh let's hit on one more thing because I know that we've got people listening that are they are they've been deep in a diet or they're deep in a diet right now. And there's a spot for diet breaks. And let me explain this. First of all, refeeds, high carb days, those are mini diet breaks once a week. I like to think of it six days fat loss, one day of maintenance. It's a diet break for one day. But there are times to where I've had to take people and do a complete diet break for a whole week, for example. And the situations I see is, is when cortisol is very, very high, their calories are low, their cardio is high. So we see this more so with somebody's dieting to get very, very lean and it's towards the end. I remember the first time I did it, probably like 10 years ago or so, I had a female dieting uh, to get on stage to figure she was, you know, upper 40s, pushing 50 years old. Um, she could eat a lot of food in the off season, but I had to get her really low to get her shredded. So she's down to 1200 calories. She's doing an hour of cardio a day and her body was just not reacting to anything. It just was not. And actually her weight slowly went up. And, and, you know, I talked to her personally, I know she was eating perfect on the plan. Like she showed me her food. Like she was, she was very like, Hey, like I'm perfect. Well, what she needed was we got to that point where the body is like, Hey, you know, unless you do something very drastic. And by the way, she's a natural competitor. So I don't like to drop the bottom out and do 500 calorie days spread out in the week. Like those are fine, but it's better for people that are assisted because you have the anabolics to help hold on to the muscle. You do that to a, a, a natural female that's already getting really lean towards the end. They're going to strip muscle left and right, which is not the look we want. So what, what happens is you do the opposite of what everybody else does, which drop the bottom out and you do a diet break. So what I did was I pulled all of her cardio, 100%. And it's an hour a day and people freak out. They're like, oh my God, I'm going to gain weight. No, you're going to drop a shit ton of cortisol because now your body doesn't have to recover. Your legs don't have to recover mm -hmm. from an hour of cardio seven days a week that you've been doing for a long time. So inflammation, boom, it drops. Cortisol, boom, it drops. And then I add carbs. Not an amount that's going to make them gain fat. Because you got to remember, eating 1,200 calories towards the end, your, your insulin sensitivity is great because you're lean. So if you add in, say, 40 carbs a day, I'm just throwing a number out. 40 carbs is 160 calories. Now she's up to 1,360 calories and doing zero cardio. What do you think is going to happen? Cortisol continues to drop. You're going to feel better her weight and her body just started responding. She started dropping oh, like crazy. She dropped four pounds in a week by wow. raising. Yeah. And it's a diet break, right? It's systematically working with what the body needs at that time because our body is smarter than us. It doesn't give a shit if you want to be lean. It's like, hey, I need you to survive. If you're female, it's like, hey, I need you to be healthy so you can make babies. Like there's all these things our bodies are meant for that's not meant. No, it doesn't give a shit about getting on stage. That's where diet breaks work. And a lot of people like they plan their diet breaks and that's okay. I just like to save them for when you really need them. Um, and that's, that's if people want to implement those. I don't think we've done a deep dive on those, Lisa. Maybe we should uh, do a deep dive on those, but that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I, I love that 
um, uh, story of your client, because I think it really paints a picture that everyone is so individual and every case is so individual and you really have to assess their circumstances, how long they've been dieting, how well they're adhering and all of that. So, yeah, I hope, um, we, we kind of gave people a good takeaway for what to do when they hit a fat loss plateau. Do you have anything else you want to touch on before I announce what we're going to talk on in the next episode? Um, no, I just want to tell people that we appreciate you. Um, send us a message, our email, all of our contact information is in the show notes. If you would just hit pause real quick, guys, um, leave us a, a review. You know, there's, you know, up to one to five stars. We've got a lot of five stars review. It just takes a second. Just please hit pause. Leave us that review real quick. It, I don't even think you have to type anything. I think you just hit the stars and submit it. So it really helps us out with the algorithms and get, we want to get this content out to as many people as we can. Like we're not, we don't charge for it. This is a labor of love, right? So if you would just do that and uh, let us know if you have a guest that you want to hear on, a topic you want to hear, if you want to send questions, you can be anonymous. We can shout you out, whatever you guys need. So what do we have coming up next? Awesome. Yeah. And of course, in the next uh, episode, we'll have a Q&A uh, or a question of the week rather. Um, but then in our next topic episode, we're going to talk about how to set up a diet in stages specifically for the obese. I think that that heading into the new year, I think that that'll be uh, really, really good because you and your coaching team have some amazing strategies when it comes to specific periodization that just goes beyond um, the typical, okay, we're just, you know, diet phase, reverse diet, maintenance, et cetera. Um, you've shared previously uh, how you sometimes, what you personally have done with your, you know, a few weeks of um, more like Metador style, I guess, dieting in that sense, or a few weeks aggressive, a few weeks higher, et cetera. So I'm excited yeah. about that. Yeah. We appreciate you all. Please leave those reviews, hit us up. We'll see you on the next episode.